and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Our Father, Part 6 of 7, where Ricky Canyon Road met Pleasant Valley Road, lived Vida Riley. She had no trespassing signs all along her fence line. They were ubiquitous and hard to miss. Many were handmade. One simply said, hell no. I knew of an unfortunate teenager who crashed into her fence late one night. She came out with a loaded revolver and asked if he had been drinking. Another time I heard of a group that knocked on her door in December. She answered it with a shotgun and inquired what they wanted. When they said they were carolers, her reply was, Well then, start singing. Most of my growing up took place on my grandpa and grandma's 300 acres in eastern Washington. Their property was kitty-cornered to Vida Riley's. I stretched a bit of barbed wire, pounded a few posts, and mended my fair share of fences by the time I was grown. Walking the fence line is an important part of life in the country. Fences are used to keep good things in just as much as they are to keep bad things out. Fences also mark property lines. A fence says to two neighbors, this is where your land ends and mine begins. Fences are often physical representations of responsibility. I will cultivate, harvest, and clear everything on this side of the fence, and you must see to the same on your side. Some people are bad at setting boundaries. Some people are bad at respecting boundaries. Both lead to problems. A piece of property that is wild and unfenced may be mistaken as free range. A man may trammel on it. A woman may harvest from it. The owner may become angry, but that anger is misdirected. If a piece of property is clearly fenced and posted, then it is less likely to be trespassed on. If someone disregards the signs, then the owner will have recourse and there will be repercussions. The same that is true of our resources is true of our hearts, ourselves, and our time. If someone else unknowingly intrudes on your life, then it is likely that you did not set clear boundaries or that they do not respect them. Either way, it is a problem. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the sixth line in the Our Father prayer we have been studying. We must ask our Father in heaven for forgiveness and pledge to forgive others. That much is clear. For the places I have gone where I should not have gone, I need forgiveness. I need to be forgiven for trespassing on the time of others, for trespassing on the peace of others, the joy of others, the day of others. I need to forgive others for doing the same things to me. Many translations say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I owe a debt to our Father in heaven. I did not create myself. I did not manifest my own consciousness. I did not create the world I live in. I did not make the sun to shine on the day or the moon to reflect on the night. Others may owe me a debt as well, but it will always be smaller than the one I owe our Father. Christ told the following parable as an illustration of this concept. Note that we are once again being given an example of the kingdom of heaven, which we looked at in the third post of this series. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The servant who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold had his debt forgiven by the king. The servant practiced the first part of this line we are looking at today. He asked the king to forgive him a very large debt that he could not repay. Then the servant went to a fellow servant who owed him a 100 silver coins. When he could not pay, he had him thrown into prison. The servant did not practice the second part of the line, as we forgive those our debtors. Then the king did not forgive him his debt and set him to jail to be tortured, which seems repulsively cruel until you realize how true it is. To be unforgiven is to be imprisoned. Debt is a form of captivity. It is torturous to not forgive and to not be forgiven. Nelson Mandela spent over 27 years in prison for being the wrong color. After attaining freedom, he went on to become the president of South Africa and to heal a nation post-apartheid. He said, forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Forgiveness is chief among the weapons we need to combat the evil in the world, which is the last part of the prayer we will discuss next week. Often people will say something equivalent to, I respect Jesus as a moral teacher, but I cannot accept him as a prophet or the son of God. Yet Jesus said things that if he were simply a moral teacher would have made him a very bad one. He said, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk to a paralytic. Your sins are forgiven to the man in the synagogue with the withered hand that was made well. Your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man lowered through the roof and healed. Your sins are forgiven to the sinful woman who anointed his feet. How many moral teachers do you know that have claimed to be able to forgive sins? How many people do you know that have claimed they can forgive you for something you did not do to them? As an example, if I steal my friend Kevin's guitar and then I ask my friend Kevin to forgive me, everyone understands that Kevin has that ability. But if I steal Kevin's guitar and I ask my uncle John to forgive me, who would agree that my uncle possesses that power? The authority to forgive makes Jesus more than a mere teacher. 
Either he was who he said he was, or he was a liar. There is no cozy middle ground where we can bestow him with manageable titles like moral teacher and write off what is attributed to him. These are accepted historical facts. There was a man named Jesus who was called the Christ. He was baptized. He was executed via crucifixion. Attempts to deny the consensus of antiquity scholars that Jesus lived and died are rejected as fringe. The belief that he died and lived, that is one that each heart must contend with. I act in ways that fall short of the knowledge I have of what is good. I act in ways that fall short of the knowledge I have of what is evil. I fail to do my best. I know that the world would be a better place if I lived up to my full potential, and yet, in many ways, I do not. I am instructed to forgive, just as I have been forgiven. The debt I owe is far greater than any owed me. I am indebted for the gift of life, consciousness, peace, the ability to use tools, to love, to watch raindrops splash on a pond. Whatever evil has been done me is still less than the evil lurking in my own heart. Boundaries, demarcations of responsibility, and fences all need to be maintained. When I cross them, I need to seek pardon, and the mercy I am shown, I must show. When the teenager who crashed into Vida Riley's fence said that he had not been drinking and was sorry, she holstered the gun and helped pull him out. When the carolers finished singing, Vida began to cry, put down the shotgun, and gave them all hugs. When my grandpa needed someone to drive him to his chemotherapy appointments, she took him. When my little brother shot his first deer, it was Vida who was called to help field dress it. She came over and in her characteristic gruff style said, Your granddad didn't teach you how to gut a deer? Did he want you to starve? He had died of cancer before he had gotten around to it. Vida Riley knelt in the fading light and showed us how to disembowel a white tail. She was in her 70s at that point. When we had finished, she whispered, You're going to have to help me up. I could get down all right, but not up anymore. That was the last time I ever saw her. I don't remember giving her venison steak or going to her funeral. Twenty years have passed. How can I redeem that wrong? I look to the one who said, pick up your mat and walk. And I say, liberate my soul, remove fear, use the powerful weapon of forgiveness to free me from my past. If you want my succinct message for how to live a life, it would be, say yes to the kingdom of heaven. But Vida's version is easier to remember. Thank mm -hmm. you.